Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Should Utah take federal money and expand Medicaid coverage under the Affordable Care Act? That's the question on the table today. We're going to be talking with several legislators and from rep- with representatives from Utah Health Policy Project. Hopefully you as well. Hope that you'll respond. I'm especially interested to hear your story and uh, how you are affected by this. Perhaps you fall into that category, undercovered or uncovered right now by uh, medical insurance and would be affected by an expansion of Medicaid coverage. Before we get into the topic for today, unfinished business from yesterday, you recall we remembered uh, environmental writer Ed Abbey, author of Desert Solitary and Monkey Wrench Gang. We had some people who knew Ed Abbey. We heard some passages from his works. There are some uh, Ed Abbey events coming up, and a new film out, by the way, called Wrenched, which uh, premieres tonight at, uh, I believe it's uh, 7 o'clock, Rose Wagner Theater in Salt Lake uh, City. Then events on the 14th and 15th in Moab. Anyway, after the program, Charles Ashurst um, left this very interesting comment about Ed Abbey on our Facebook page. He wrote, uh, back in 1970, I had just come off the farm, so to speak, to attend Utah State University, and my honors English instructor, Ken Brewer, invited Ed Abbey to come talk to us. I laughed to think how ultra-right-wing I was back then, in them days, and how offensive Ed Abbey seemed to me at the time. Why, he criticized coal-fired power plants, and here I was, a freshman in the electrical engineering department. I thought he was out to do me out of a career. As it turned out, it might just be this meeting with that subversive old goat that resulted in my eventual transformation into a coal-fired power plant-hating tree hugger. Kids, he said, you are our most important resource. And you know what happens to resources, don't you? They get combusted inside coal-fired power plants. And he laughed like a madman. (laughs) Thank you, Charles, for that very uh, interesting and... uh, and evocatively written uh, memory of uh, Ed Abbey. Keep those coming on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, and you can join us there to continue the discussion at upr.org. Now for the subject for today. Should Utah take federal money and expand Medicaid coverage under the Affordable Care Act? Governor Herbert's pushing for an expansion using some almost $300 million in federal money. A plan supported by some legislative Republicans would refuse federal money and use $35 million in state money to provide health coverage for some of the 60,000 or so uninsured Utah residents. Senator Jim DeVacus calls this the single most important moment facing the state in a generation. In the meantime, Senate Minority Majority Leader Ralph Okerlund says lawmakers might not pass a Medicaid bill this session. The governor says the issue may need to be addressed in a special session. We'll, of course, see what happens. The session ends a week from today. And uh, now, uh, today, we, uh, we see a proposal from the Democrats. Senator Gene Davis is proposing uh, full Medicaid expansion. Uh, so those are the uh, some of the plans on the table. We're going to get comments later in the program from Representative and Medical Dr. Ed Red, Republican from Logan, from Senator Luz Robles, Democrat from Salt Lake City. But we bring in right now Jason Stevenson, Education and Communications Director with the Utah Health Policy Project. Welcome back to the program, Jason. 
Hi, good morning. Glad to be here. Uh, appreciate you taking some time. And we're also joined by uh, Riley Curtis, Medicaid Policy Analyst with Utah Health Policy Project. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. So uh, let me start with um, with you, Jason. Maybe you can uh, give us some background uh, since we talked last, or perhaps people are un- unfamiliar with, with some of the background here. Uh, full, I think, full Medicaid expansion was a part of the Affordable Care Act that was struck down by the Supreme Court and left to the states. That, that's why we are debating this or discussing this in the legislature right now. It is really a geographic question. That's right. Um, so there's, you know, 50 states out there that are now able to make their decision about whether or not to accept the Medicaid expansion or not. And, and currently about 25 states have said, yes, we're going to go ahead and do the traditional expansion. Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, California are states in that category. Um, an equal number, about 25 states have said they're not going to do the expansion. Um, and, and then there's a couple within that category that are still making up their mind, like Utah. Um, but then there's even a subset that Utah was seeking to join which are saying we're not going to do the traditional expansion like Colorado did. We're going to do something a little unique, something, uh, you know, a Utah solution is what we call it here. And that has really been guiding the proposals that have come up in the legislature to date. And uh, further before we get into some of the specifics of Medicaid, and I'll turn to Riley Curtis for those, uh, Jason Stevenson, Give us an overview. Uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, which I think you probably view as a uh, as a positive step forward. Uh, what has that done? How many people do you think in Utah has, has that provided coverage to that perhaps didn't have coverage before? Sure. Yeah, the Affordable Care Act was a law passed in 2010, but really people could start signing up for this new insurance, new private insurance, just last October 2013. So we've had four to five months of it on the ground operating. Um, at the end of January, we had, uh, I guess, about 30,000 Utahns sign up for this new private insurance. And that's not government insurance. That's private insurance sold by private insurance companies uh, that people had previously uh you know, not been insured, not been able to afford it, or they just found a better deal for the insurance they were already getting on healthcare.gov. So we've had 30,000 folks sign up. The open enrollment period goes until the end of March, just a couple of weeks away. I think we're going to get pretty close to 57,000 signups, which is the goal that Utah had um, for this first open enrollment period. We do think it's been a good deal um, for Utah. We have some of the lowest insurance prices in the entire country. Um, and people are taking advantage of those low prices as they go and shop and also getting subsidies uh, to make that insurance more affordable. Now, this is insurance that is not dependent on, on your job, is it? Or That's true. I, I used to be a freelance writer, so you know, I didn't work for anybody but myself. There's a lot of people out there in Utah who are like that, self-employed, um, independent contractors. So you're not getting insurance from uh, your job or from your boss. You go out and you buy it for yourself. And so the healthcare.gov website and, and the insurance policies there are really designed for those people um, who work um, but don't get insurance through their work or work and just can't afford the insurance that their, their company offers. So that's about 15% of our population um, that falls into that category, and they're finding um, some new opportunities on healthcare.gov. What if you're a small business owner, you want to provide some insurance for your employees? I think Utah has a special uh, we do. We do. We, uh, every state has two marketplaces, one for individuals um, and then one also for small businesses. And here in Utah, that is called Avenue H at AvenueH.com. And uh, if you have a business with under 50 employees and at least one, um, you have to be between one and 50, then you can go to Avenue H and actually shop for um, you know, the same kind of insurance you would find at healthcare.gov, but it's for your small business employees. 
and uh, it's a defined contribution market, which means it sort of limits the exposure that business owners have if insurance prices go up. And there's also the availability of tax credits to uh, you know bring some savings to those small businesses. And the two goals that I hear uh, quoted most frequently in, in, in terms of any health care change or reform are expanding coverage to those who are not covered and reducing costs. Do you think the Affordable Care Act is, is going to uh, achieve those goals? Well, you know, the Affordable Care Act tackles the expanding coverage challenge first. That's sort of like you put everybody in the boat and then you figure out where you're going to go and, and <laughs> how much, uh, you know, how far that boat can go. So we're filling up the boat now with people. Um, and that's what Massachusetts did back in 2006 when they did, uh, under Governor Romney, something very similar to the Affordable Care Act. Right now, seven, eight years later, they are, you know, working on the cost issues, working on the quality issues. So they're a state that we look to as sort of where we're going to be in a couple of years. But right now, it's expanding access is the goal. Um, once we get that done, then it's going to be, you know, cutting costs and improving quality. On the Access Utah today, we're talking about uh, health care reform. We're talking about Affordable Care Act. And specifically, and we're going to turn to this now, uh, Medicaid coverage. Uh, originally, under Affordable Care Act, there was a, a mandate, I believe, that the states would expand Medicaid coverage um, to those uninsured and, and uh, too poor to, uh, to afford uh, plans under the private insurance exchange that we've been hearing about. Um, but uh, that was one provision that was struck down by the Supreme Court, and so now that's been left to the states, and so there's a vigorous debate going on in the legislature right now over what to do, how many people to cover, how much money to throw at that, and whether or not to take federal federal money. Let's turn to Riley Curtis now with the uh, Medicaid Policy Analyst with Utah Health Policy Project. How many people in Utah are we talking about when, we're, when we have this, this, this debate? How many people potentially would be left out or covered under Medicaid expansion? So the amount of people who are left out currently from um, any type of access to affordable health care is um, it's about 54,000. Uh, so that's 54,000 Utahns who, you know, make too much or otherwise don't qualify for Medicaid as it currently stands in our state. And they also make too little to qualify for um, health insurance on the health insurance marketplace. But if you're looking at Governor Herbert's proposal where he wants to go all the way up to 133% of the federal poverty level, that's actually about 111,000 Utahns that would be covered under that plan. Have you looked at the, uh, it just came out yesterday, this is the new plan from Senator Davis. Does that differ from the governor's plan? Yeah, you know, this is just doing a full Medicaid expansion the way that it was envisioned by the Affordable Care Act. This would also cover, you know, 111,000 Utahns. Um, it's it's going to take the full federal match. It could, be, it could be implemented right away, wouldn't require a federal waiver. But the likelihood of this getting out, getting anywhere is, is pretty slim to none. Mm -hmm. So the, the, I guess the fullest expansion would be under the governor's plan uh, if, you, if you fold in political realities, I suppose. Yes. yes. Uh, then you have a plan from Speaker Lockhart um, who, uh, who would not take federal money and would put some $35 million in state money. I assume, since it's less money, that would cover fewer people. Yeah, you know, under her proposal, this is actually an exp um, They would ask to expand or extend waivers that we have currently. So this is our primary care network, also referred to as PCN, and our Utah Premium Partnership, which we also refer to as UP. And those are two federally matched programs. So when we say that she wouldn't be accepting federal money, it's kind of a catch-22 because really those programs are Medicaid programs and they do receive 70% federal funding. 
And it, it looks like, we'll get into this with the legislators that we'll have on, but it, uh, there's some politics at play. Some legislators, though not all, uh, just, just have some heartburn about uh, accepting federal money. Yeah, <laughs> I they do. And, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, drawn the line of which federal money is good and which federal money is bad. So is the federal money that we would be getting under um, Governor Herbert's plan, that is ACA money in a block grant form, is that bad or is um, already existing Medicaid programs like PCN and UP extending those programs, is that federal money bad? So it's really just deciding which money we want to take. And in all reality, all of the money is ours. It's federal tax dollars that Utahns are paying. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, folded into the politics of this as well is, is on the part of many Republicans that just don't like to be associated in any way, shape, or form with, with the Affordable Care Act. Right. But... You know, I get heartburn over that statement because, you know, I don't like to see Utahns go uncovered. You know, these are hardworking, you know, students going to school. These are um, people working one or two jobs. They are, you know, they're working Utahns. And I just don't like to see politics being played with, you know, their health insurance coverage in their lives. So we're reaching the end of this segment. I wonder if you could expand on, on what you just said. Give, give us an example or two of some, you know, the types of people who would be covered or no, uh, depending on what Utah decides to do. Absolutely. So I want to put a plug in. You know, Governor Herbert is going to have a sit down uh, with, I think it's about four or five Utahns today at around one o'clock who fall into the coverage gap. He's going to, you know, get into the nitty gritty with them. They've got a, a child from Utah County who has Medicaid but her mom is uninsured, so she's got three daughters, and she's a single mom, and she doesn't have insurance. And then there's also a college student who was in a car wreck, and she had to quit her job, but she is going to school now, but also does not access, have access to um, affordable health insurance. And so there's just there's a wide variety of people who fall into this coverage gap. It's not, you know, just people who don't work. These are working Utahns who just make under 100% of the federal poverty level who fall into the 60,000-person coverage gap. And I, I'm sure you're aware of a, uh, a hearing that's going to be put on by uh, Senators Shiozawa and Dabakis to be held tonight. Yes. Town Hall tonight, 6 p.m. Um, that'll be in room 445 of the Capitol. I know you're a little far away to come down, but it's, it's open to the public. I'm, there should be media. That, there will be media there, so hopefully it'll air tonight um, on the Verizon. Variety of so that's uh, the the uh, Republican Democrat. They want they want to hear from people. So you have if you're going to be in the Salt Lake area, you have an opportunity um, at the Capitol uh, tonight, room 445, six o'clock to uh, to have your voice heard. Well, we uh, uh, let me just ask uh, as we leave here, Jason Stevenson. What uh, do you think we're going to be heading toward a special session on on this? Excuse me, that does seem to be where uh, things are moving at the legislature. We just have a couple of days left um, before it wraps up next Thursday night at midnight. There's a lot of other issues that are on the calendar and jockeying for position. And it just seems as if the legislature, despite a lot of work done not only um, you know by their legislative leaders and by the governor's office, they're just not ready to make a decision on this. And, and that's pretty disappointing. I think, for, for Utah, because there's many other states that have studied this issue and their legislators have been able to say, yes, we're going to do it, uh, figured out a unique solution like Iowa and Arkansas have done. Um, but here in Utah, it just seems that things can't move um, that fast. And I understand it's a complicated issue, um, but I also think the politics that uh, came into the issue 
during the during you know the legislative session, even from the the first day, have, have pushed it to something that's going to need to be studied in a special session this summer. We will uh, stay tuned, and it may well have a program on this at that point. Jason Stevenson and Riley Curtis with the Utah Health Policy Project. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, coming up, following a break, we will have with us uh, Representative Ed Red. He's a Republican from Logan. He's also a medical doctor. I'm sure he'll have interesting perspective on this issue. Later in the program, Senator Luce Robles, a Democrat from Salt Lake City. Your comment is very welcome. Love to hear how this is affecting you or anyone you know. We have a comment very interesting comment from uh, Jennifer on our Facebook page. I'll uh, read that and have uh, Representative Red respond to that uh, following the break. The uh, place to places to join us, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page or by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. Let me throw this out in the mix. If you're going to be in the Logan area tonight and want to hear some uh, great piano music, the Wasserman Festival is ongoing on the Utah State University campus, and uh, we have a pair of tickets to tonight's performance, 7.30 in the USU Performance Hall. Just for your call, call 1-800-826-1495. Tell uh, Bennett uh, that you'd like to receive those with, your, of course, your name and, uh, and number. Daniel Trifonov and Sergei Babian, duo piano recital in Performance Hall tonight. A pair of tickets available to you for your call. More following the break. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. The question on the table today is the question that the Utah legislature is wrestling with at present. Should Utah take federal money and expand Medicaid coverage under the Affordable Care Act? Governor Herbert is pushing for a, uh, a larger expansion than, uh, than some others, uh, using some uh, almost $300 million in, in federal dollars. Plans supported by some legislative Republicans put forward by Speaker Lockhart would refuse federal money, use some $35 million in state money to provide health coverage for some of the 60,000 or so uninsured Utah residents. And uh, the judgment of some, including the Senate Majority Leader, Ralph Okerlund, is that lawmakers may not pass the Medicaid bill this session, might have to go to a special session. Later in the program, we're going to be talking with uh, Democrat Senator Luce Robles. Right now, we welcome in Dr. Ed Red, who's uh, a representative representing the Logan area, Cache Valley area. Uh, Dr. Red, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you very much. So I, I, I want to get your just your general perspective. Do you do you support any one of these bills? What what would you like to see happen? I think this is a really this is really much more complicated than than, than anybody would ever imagine. Um, you know, there's there's right now there's basically four. Well, there's five options. There's, you know, do nothing. That's that's one option. Uh, you know, there's uh, Speaker Lockhart's plan, which is a very uh, kind of a bare bones approach to expansion. Uh, there's uh, Senator Shiwazawa's plan from the Senate. There's uh, the governor's plan, Healthy Utah, and then there's full expansion. And and they all have, you know, they all have some you know, positive aspects to them, and, 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 and every one of them's got some problems. And so it's kind of, I don't think it's a, a really easy decision on which one to choose uh, or, or to choose none of them, which is what we're doing right this second. So anyway, that's, that's kind of how I see it. 
I wonder if you could outline in your mind the pros and cons. What the, the pros, of course, would be covering people who wouldn't be covered. Uh, what, what are the dangers? Do you think? What are the what are on the con side? Well, there's a, there's a, there's some things that the that, that the uh, House. I think I, I I don't know what the Senate. I haven't listened to the Senate conversations on this. But the House of Representatives is really concerned about unfunded liabilities uh, of, of, the, of the federal government and whether this is a, whether expanding Medicaid or even doing the governor's you know plan would would be a a good idea because of the unfunded liabilities uh, with Social Security and Medicare going forward, uh, you know, numbers that I heard in, 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 in caucus meetings were on the range of $68 trillion of unfunded liabilities that people just don't have a plan on how they're going to pay back or fund. And as we go forward, if we make a decision to expand coverage to, uh, you know, to everybody who does not currently have coverage, and then we find out later on down the road that the federal government can't help us anymore, then we're then, then the state has to basically continue that coverage. We can't just turn back. If we decide to expand, then that's a, that's in, in my opinion that's a permanent decision. That's not something you can say, okay, we're going to do this for three years, and then if the federal government says no, uh, we don't have the money to do this anymore, uh, you know. We're, we, we can't. We're not going to be able to turn turn to the people and say, "Oh, by the way, this this you know wonderful benefit you've been enjoying for the last three to five years or ten years, we're not going to give you anymore." That, I mean, that's that's called that's called austerity. It's kind of a it's kind of a big deal. It sometimes causes social unrest and rioting in the streets. And so I think that's kind of a problem to promise people something that you can't deliver. And I think that's that's kind of why I think the speaker's plan actually you know might make more sense. Is because at least we can. At least we can deliver that as we go forward without without being too concerned about having to say tell people hey guess what uh, we're not going to do this anymore and so that that's 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 I think that's the biggest concern of the house is promising people something that they can't actually deliver in the future. Hmm. You have an interesting perspective. Uh, you you're in the medical field and uh, and of course in in the legislature. Um, what are your your general thoughts on the Affordable Care Act? Step forward or, or well, not? Overall, there's there's some parts of Affordable Care Act that are actually that actually help health care become more affordable. Called like like the Cannibal Care Organization ideas of of, of giving some personal responsibility to healthcare provider organizations and saying, okay, everybody has to have some skin in this game. Uh, for example, you know the affordable the, the Cannibal Care Organizations uh, are kind of a capitated care uh, model that helps the healthcare providers say, hey. You also have to be careful how you use healthcare resources. You know, this is not just the insurance company or Medicaid that has to make this decision. You also have to be involved in making sure that you use, utilize healthcare resources wisely. Because when you have a fee-for-service model where you just pay a provider for whatever he or she does, then they're, they're, you're basically incentivizing them to provide more healthcare and sometimes healthcare that's not the most effectively delivered and not the, not the most you know, cost-beneficial for the patient. And so the ACO... Part of the, the the Affordable Care Act actually actually makes sense in my mind as far as trying to help health care providers deliver better uh, and, and, and higher quality care. Not everybody likes that idea. Physicians sometimes say we don't want to be told that you know we don't want to be you know we don't want capitated care because you know it's it's financially not necessarily advantageous to us. But overall. It, it, it makes better healthcare, I think, if, if it's managed correctly. And right now, along the Wasatch Front, there's there's several models of this that are functioning initially pretty well, but we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, so that's kind of a part of the Affordable Care Act that nobody really talks about. We, we talk about everything else. We don't talk about that. That actually is was one part of it I think makes sense. Um, my my concern though is 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 is, is the cost of the, the, number one the federal government being involved in this 
uh, and number two, the, the, the costs as we go forward that really I don't think are sustainable. I don't think that uh, that we're going to be able to provide these robust benefits into the future. And I think there's going to be a moment of reckoning down the road. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be five years or ten years when we're going to wake up and say, hey, you know, it's austerity time. You know, and I think that's that's something that people, I, I don't think we we all want to think about the next three years, the next four years, but we don't want to think what happens ten years down the road. And I think we have to be really careful uh, about planning ahead and saying, okay, can we really afford this? Is this something that's, that we should be involved with as, as a federal government, or should we have this done more on a local level? I personally think that locally we can do a better job. If you took the same amount of money that, that's being expended uh, through the federal government on the on the Affordable Care Act and said, here's a block grant to the states, here, take this money and, and make it run make it run for your state, I think, you know, I think that would be a better idea. That that's kind of what the governor's plan is: is taking a block grant, and saying, "Let's make this. Let's let's make it work for Utah." The question is, and, and this is the answer that nobody knows: is what strings come attached with even a, with even a block grant of money? You know, the two hundred fifty million to three hundred million dollars per year. What strings come attached with that? And and, and then once and then one again, once again, is that sustainable? Or is the federal government going to be able to do that year after year after year as we go forward? I don't think so. And so eventually, I think we're going to be we're going to be basically responsible as a state to provide these services to our own citizens, uh, because the federal government will no longer be able to afford to do so. So I think it's really important that if we're going to make that decision, that we have, we go forward saying, okay, we're going to expand all these services. We're going to we're going to we're going to provide health care uh, to you know people from zero to 138 percent federal poverty level, and we're going to. Uh, you know, and we're, and we're never going back. And so, if we can make that decision and say, as a state, we're willing to do that, we're willing to make that commitment, then I think that that's that may be the thing to do. But my thoughts are, is I don't think we're there yet. It's certainly, the legislature is not to the point where they say, yeah, we can afford that. We can afford to to somehow carve out three hundred million dollars in, in today's dollars ongoing for the rest for the rest of the state's history. I, I just don't think that's. I don't think we're there yet. You just joined us. We're talking about uh, possible Medicaid expansion. Uh, this is uh, was a provision uh, in the Affordable Care Act, struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, and now the states are deciding. Some states have uh, opted for full expansion, others uh, for much less. The, a lot of variability. Utah's grappling with that right now. May or may not get done and decided by the end of this session. There could be a special session. And uh, coming up, a uh, conversation with uh, Democratic uh, Senator Luce Robles. Right now, uh, Ed Red, representative from Logan, and uh, he's also a medical doctor. has an interesting perspective on this. We'd love to hear your story. And you can join us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. By the way... Pair of tickets, yours, free, for your call, 1-800-826-1495. If you're going to be in the Logan area tonight, 7.30 p.m., part of the Wasserman Festival, USU Performance Hall on the USU campus, Daniel Trifonov and Sergei Babian duo piano recital. Um, if you're interested in those, just uh, call, tell our producer uh, your your name and phone number, and uh, they'll be at uh, will call for you. But, of course, you have to call to get those, 1-800-826-1495. Dr. Red, we had a... Very interesting story, looking for personal stories, and this one came in on our Facebook page. I want to have you respond to this. This is from Jennifer. She says, I was hoping for the expansion. It's not perfect, and I know we're all weary of the federal government of the ACA, but doing that would save the state money. We can use it for any number of other needs, like if we have to keep our parks open again. Also, I know that I know what I'm getting with Medicaid. 
Who knows how they will determine who is, quote, needy, end quote, and what kind of coverage they'll give under the alternate alternative plan. Anyway, I'm personally affected. I'm disabled. I'm still waiting for Social Security disability determination, 15 months and counting. My husband works at Walmart, has to support both of us. Under ACA, we're pretty sure we're going to get fined for not having insurance, but we literally cannot afford any plans. We check the Marketplace website and Walmart's insurance plans. It takes every dollar we have every month to keep our apartment, utilities, medication, basic food. We're hoping an expansion would cover us so that we don't get fined. We're under 65. Maybe we can even have some breathing room if it covers our medications and doctor visits. That's Jennifer. Uh, on our Facebook page, uh, Doctor, that's uh, interesting. Probably representative of uh, some of the, you know, the, the people uh, who are especially interested in what the state does because they'd be directly affected. Yeah, I, I think you know. Th- 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 I mean, I really my, my heart goes out to people who are struggling. I, I certainly have done that in my life before as well. I mean, I, I understand what it's like to be poor and not have enough resources to to take care of my my, my own family's needs. Um, and and so I've been there. I understand the concept. I, I think that what I would you know, not to give personal advice to anybody, but there, there are resources in our community, at least in Logan and Northern Utah, and there's along the Wasatch Front for that matter, uh, for people to get. The PCN level of care for a twenty dollar copay, and and uh, if your if your income is a sliding scale service, it, it, it's operated through the community health centers of Utah, which have clinics in Brigham City. Uh, you know, there's clinics in Ogden, there's clinics in Salt Lake, and I don't know where where, where they all are in the state of Utah, but at least in in in, in northern Utah, they're there. And and uh, what that does is gives you access to primary care uh, level of care, which would be similar to the PCN level of care in Speaker Lockhart's uh, proposal, and, and it already is there. I mean, people can already access this for twenty dollars. Um, excuse me, for twenty dollars per per, per uh, you know per visit. I actually work at a clinic that does this, so I understand how the system works. The reason why I think this is good is because it gives people personal some personal responsibility in their health care. Uh, you know, my, my experience working with people on Medicaid is that some of them need it desperately. I've, I've taken care of lots of people with, you know, you know, severe mental illness. I've taken care of people who have uh, hopeless disabilities, physical disabilities, they absolutely need it. I've, I've taken care of other people who, 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 who also need health care but have, have more physical and mental resources to, to get it than maybe some of these really severely disabled folks. And, and, and my thoughts are is if people can have some personal responsibility in, in, in accessing health care, and if they, can, if they can do that, they actually do better than people who, who basically get it for free and have no personal responsibility in, in, in the plan. And I think that's why Speaker Lockhart's plan and the governor's plan uh, actually you know, might make some sense if the governor can do what I think he wants to do, which is have some, you know, some, some cost-sharing of premiums and also cost-sharing of co-pays and things like that to help people utilize health care responsibly. I work in Cache County Jail where I take care of the inmates, and we charge them you know, 10 to $20 per visit. And, and, and guess what? They don't come in to see me unless they really need to be seen, and, and they use health care quite responsibly inside the jail setting. If we didn't charge them anything, things would really change inside the jail as far as who came to see me for what purpose. And so I think having a small copay or some sort of responsible, some sort of personal responsibility on the, on the, on the, on the, on the patient is important. I think the physician also needs to have some skin in the game and not just throw it all on the third-party payer, which would be Medicaid or Medicare or insurance companies. I think everybody needs to have some personal responsibility in this game. So I, I think, again, 
you know, there are some people that that we need to to look for and take care of that, that need help. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's that's we we do have charity care. We have backup healthcare systems. The emergency room is not the most efficient place to get care, but but there, you know, people can go there if they if they have no other options. That's one place they can go and get emergency healthcare type intervention. So so in, in our community, we already have some method of taking care of some of these people, but long-term follow-up continuity of care is a bigger deal, and for that, the, the community health centers along the Wasatch Front uh, can take care of people. Now, it does, and I'm sure some people would, would respond to say that uh, you've, you've listed a, a broad range of places people can go, more or less efficient. Of course, emergency room on the, on the far end of inefficient. Um, yeah. But, but uh, Medicaid expansion would seem to be a, a clean uh, uniform uh, solution. Well, it seems like it would be, but but it, but again, the, the question is the question is would it really improve healthcare? Number number one, number two, would access become a problem? That's already a problem for some Medicaid clients. They can't find a, a, a physician or a healthcare provider that's willing to take care of them. Dental healthcare under Medicaid is a great example of that, where the reimbursement rates for dental care are so low that you know. Um, the majority of dentists won't even accept Medicaid patients, uh, and so sometimes access is a problem. I had a, I had a, I had a, um, I had a, a patient that tried to get an appointment. I mean, I was, I was taking care of her and referred. You know, she's on Medicaid. and says, "Hey, you need to go see a specialist." And uh, they found out that she had Medicaid insurance. And instead of giving her an appointment the next week, gave her an appointment six months down the road. So, so you got to understand that there's 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 access issues too, not just insurance issues. And so I think Medicaid expansion by itself doesn't solve all the problems and it does potentially create a lot of problems as far as you know long-term uh you know unfunded liabilities that the federal government's not going to be able to 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 continue to support and and which which again puts it back on the states which you know we are legislators of the state we represent the people of the state we're trying to do the best job we can to make sure that as we go forward we don't put the state into a situation that they can't sustain that we can't continue to do long term and i think that's why probably the speaker's plan, even though it's bare bones care, it's not. It's not. It's not a robust uh, program that provides all the treatment for everybody that needs it. But it's something. It's better than nothing, and 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 it is something that we can actually afford to pay in the event that the federal government decides they don't want to help us out anymore or can't help us out anymore because of because of their unfunded liabilities. Mm. Uh, so again, tell me uh, some of those uh, options. Perhaps Jennifer could look into in, sure. in her okay, situation. There's, these are called community health centers. There's one here in Cache Valley. They charge, I believe, $50 and up on a sliding scale, which is a little more expensive. There's one over in Brigham City. Um, uh, called uh, it's a community health center called Clinic de la Buena Salud, which charges twenty dollars per visit. That includes the doctor visit, labs, and 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 follow up if we need to do follow up. And uh, and then there's uh, there's the uh, there's clinics down in the Ogden area and Salt Lake area. There's a whole bunch of them. If you go on the website and look up community health centers of Utah. There's that's kind of a it's a company that runs these 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 clinics. They 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 are subsidized through federal dollars, but it's a really but they also operate. It's it's a, it's a small portion of their funding. Uh, they actually uh, operate uh, on a really kind of a bare bones uh, way. They don't have fancy buildings or fancy, you know. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically basic medical care. It's good medical care, but it's very basic medical care. 
I wonder, uh, Doctor, if, if if you could respond to the the, uh, the concern that Jennifer has. Of course, we don't know the specifics, but uh, but she's representative of uh, of some people sort of caught in the middle, not poor enough for Medicaid, but uh, you know, too rich. You might put it that way. Ironically, that uh, they might get fined under the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, I, I, my understanding is, is that, I mean, I haven't really looked at this really closely, so I can't. I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on this. But my understanding is, if you're less than 100 percent federal, federal federal poverty level, I don't think that the fine applies to you. I don't think that people are going to get fined for those people that are under 100 percent federal poverty level. But people between 100 and 138 percent, I think there is a, a a fine. It's not it's not insignificant. Uh, it's probably a lot less expensive than purchasing you know health insurance, but it's not. And I'm sure some people will make a financial decision to say I'll pay the fine. Uh, and if you're up in the 200, 304 percent federal poverty level, yeah, there's there's going to be a fine. But I don't know. I'd have to go back and look it up. I don't know it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to, uh, of course, continue this discussion following a brief break. Uh, you're welcome to join this uh, conversation. We'd love to hear your story. We've heard Jennifer's uh, very interesting story. Thank you, Jennifer, for posting that on our Facebook page. You could post uh, there, uh, Utah Public Radio Facebook page. You can join us at upraxcess@gmail.com, or you can call us at 1-800-826-1495. We have with us Representative Ed Red, representing the uh, Logan area. He's also a medical doctor. And uh, following the break, we're going to add uh, Senator Luce Robles, a Democrat from Salt Lake City, to the conversation. If you'd like to hear some great piano music, free a pair of tickets to you for your call, or you could email. Just give us your name and a phone number. We'll pass that on to the will call. This is the Wasserman Festival, and uh, Daniel Trifonov and Sergey Babian duo piano recital tonight, USU Performance Hall at 730 couple of tickets for you for your call today, 1-800-826-1495. Following a break, uh, we'll continue with uh, Representative Red, and uh, we will add to the conversation Senator Robles. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The question before the legislature... Should Utah take federal money and expand Medicaid coverage under the Affordable Care Act? Governor Herbert is pushing for an expansion uh, using some up to $300 million in federal dollars. Plans supported by some legislative Republicans would refuse the federal money, use some $35 million in state money to provide health coverage for some of the 60,000 or so uninsured Utah residents. Senator Jim DeBacchus, Democrat from Salt Lake City, calls this the single most important moment facing the state in a generation. And this may be headed for a special session. We'll uh, take a look at this. Earlier in the program, we talked with uh, Riley Curtis and Jason Stevenson with the Utah Health Policy Project. We have been talking uh, in the program with uh, Ed Red, medical doctor and representative from uh, Logan. And we welcome in uh, Senator Luce Robles, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, you taking the time. Uh, we have a plan uh, put forward yesterday by Senator Gene Davis uh, on the Democratic side. Um, uh, is that the plan you support? Which which of the plans are you leaning toward? Oh, absolutely. I think as a state, we should move like most states have done to a full Medicaid expansion. We, as Democrats, uh, believe that's the right approach to cover more Utahns. 
these are working uh, poor and working class that for one or two reasons are not going to be able to get coverage. And they're part of that gap of ACA. And I, I think it's our responsibility that if we have that opportunity to move forward and get that money to the state of Utah, which is, you know, millions of dollars in, in, with Utah's name on it because it's our own money, we should be able to just move forward and get coverage for those individuals. I'm, you know, other governors have done it. Other states have done it. Of course, Utah now has a new provision, uh, which we did pass last year, which is now the legislature has to take action in order to allow the governor to do this. But I just find it to be very responsible uh, fiscally, but also, you know, in a way morally, that there are individuals out there with need for coverage and we're not taking the opportunity to cover them with a full Medicaid expansion. What are you hearing from constituents? Are you hearing from some people in this gap? Oh, absolutely. And let me just be clear. I, we actually had um, several um, organizations provided, every single legislator, at least in the Senate, with a breakdown of how you know, percentages and the individuals in their own districts. I happen to represent the district that will have more individuals covered if we will go moving forward towards a full Medicaid expansion. And that's why, for me, it's a priority. I've been very outspoken about the need for this and just what it makes sense. I mean, we will get 100% uh, paid by the feds in the first three years. Of course, we already run out of one year. And then we will go down to a 90-10 breakdown. And, you know, the bottom line is this. We, as Democrats, we love a full Medicaid expansion. We understand there are other approaches in the state of Utah. We work differently. We don't have the numbers. We know how to count. So we, we are, you know, we know the reality. But we really hope the state takes some resolution. I mean, not doing something, I think, it's at this point irresponsible. And and we are hoping to see something coming out of this legislature. The governor put a task force in place. They presented ideas. I mean, everything has been, we've been working on. I mean, I'm not sure what else the legislature wants. I mean, more information. We already have money spent on the task force, money spent on research, and everything drills down to more jobs, more money and revenue to the state, and more individuals covered, less usage of our emergency room. These people are already using the healthcare system somehow in a more expensive way. Not having them be part of a system that allows them to have preventive care and other type of mechanisms, again, I'm not sure what the purpose is and what is behind this. Uh, uh, Representative Red, um, I wonder if you'd respond to that, that last point, uh, Senator Robles. People are using the system somehow. You made reference to this earlier. Uh, anywhere from you know least efficient uh, emergency room to, to you know any number of places, or some people imagine you know just don't use the healthcare system until it reaches a crisis point because they can't afford it. Yeah, and that's that certainly is a problem. There are some. There, there's certainly some. You know, there's some illnesses uh, that. That really are very expensive when they're not managed. Uh, diabetes is a great example of a disease that's really common. That when it's mismanaged or not managed at all, uh, you know, people actually end up costing the overall system a, a lot more money than if they had access to uh, some primary care and, and chose to make decisions to take care of their diabetes and manage their blood sugars, for example. Uh, you know, it's, it's clear it's clear that you know certain disease processes really do cost a lot more money when you don't manage them or don't take care of them, and so certainly. Uh, trying to address these kinds of problems uh, with, you know, primary care uh, interventions uh, are really important. And I think that's, that's I mean, that's kind of where the, the, the PCN 
program would, would address that issue to some extent, not perfectly, but it would be better than certainly doing nothing. Uh, and, and, and also, again, there's already resources in our communities to, uh, for people who are, are low income uh, or don't have insurance as far as community health centers of Utah and other, uh, other organizations that provide federally, federally qualified you know, health care. They run federally qualified health care clinics, and, and uh, people can get uh, you know, sliding scale, reduced reduce cost health care in those clinics, uh, good primary health care, not just, not just uh, uh, one time or one visit health care, but ongoing health care. So there are, there are options for people there to get these kinds of you know, long, longitudinal primary care if, if they're willing to look and find them. Uh, and, 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 I, and again, I think, uh, you know, I think that, you know, no health care is expensive health care in, in many regards. That, that's, that, that's a very true statement, especially when you're dealing with preventative type interventions. Senator Robles, um, Dr. Red says there are other options. What, uh, what, what's your response? Oh, you know, and I, I want to just clarify that I agree with uh, Representative Red, and he's one of those providers. I mean, he, we've served together on health and human services, both on the appropriation, so we get to see the funding mechanisms. Um, you know, we do have some some places where people can go absolutely great clinics. I actually, uh, the 4th Street Clinic here in Salt Lake City, a great place of a safety net if you want to the community health clinics, high-quality coverage, I mean, high-quality care. But we now have this opportunity again to bring people to a system where they will have coverage. For I mean, I think even changes the attitude. And if someone has been uninsured, and I've been one of those individuals that at one point, because of preconditions, couldn't get insurance uh, through a small employer and was uninsured for a year with a critical medical condition. So I've been through that process. Even if you want, sometimes you couldn't get it. Um, now we're gonna, we have this opportunity to cover working individuals that because of the gaps and because of all the different laws and pieces, they were left outside of a coverage mechanism. And we have this opportunity to make that an option in our state. I'm, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. So fiscally, it makes sense. And I know the, the you know, they're saying, well, we'll get a waiver to make it a Utah model. And, and that's okay, you know, and I'm hoping that we will get the waiver. I mean, these are pieces that as we take longer, we're missing the opportunity. And that's where our voice and where the Democrats are saying, can we hurry up? I mean, you already had a year to figure this out, to have conversations, meetings, task force, my heavens. I mean, we are at a, people are needing help. And, you know, I know Representative Red knows this better than me as a provider himself. You just don't tell your illness, can you please hold a little bit while the legislature makes up their mind? This is where the urgency comes, and this is why it's so critical now People say, well, we don't want the federal money. Well, I'm sorry. Really, Utah takes more federal money than most states. So we already take federal funding. This is our money as well. And it just happened that ACA is the law. The Supreme Court already made a decision. So I'm not sure what the political piece is and what they're trying to get out of this ideological component. At the end, we have people in need. And we have, we're just waiting here. And I'm not sure that that's the right approach when there's a crisis, because there is a crisis. We are just about out of time, just about 30 seconds for each of you. I'm interested in uh, maybe predictions, uh, Dr. Red, from uh, the House. Do you think this is going to get done or, or heading for a special session? 
I don't. I don't think this is going to get done during this session. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. I, I think this will take a, a special session during the spring or summer, but it's not going to happen in the next week. I don't think. Mm. Senator Robles, what about Senate? Where, where do you think it's going? You know, I think the Senate's in a little bit different place, and I, I, I appreciate Senator Red. Like I said, he's it's been wonderful serving with him on those committees. But we're hoping to get something done, and hopefully, the governor's approach, which seems to be more of a in the middle. Type of project. You know, you have Senator Shiwasawa and Senator Davis. I mean, we're trying to bring options, and we're hoping the House can support us in having our job be done by the end of the session. If not, as he said, we'll probably be in a special session. But I'm crossing my fingers. I'm still, I'm an ultimate optimist. So mm. hopefully we'll get that done. <laughs> very good. Uh, Representative Red, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, Senator Robles, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And our thank you to our guests from Utah Health Policy Project who joined us earlier. The conversation can continue on our Facebook page and on our website, upr.org. Thank you for responding. For producers uh, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. Stay tuned for the Zesty Garden. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Public Radio presents StoryCorps, an oral history project in conjunction with the National Library of Congress, recorded in May of 2013 in St. George. Former Senator Dixie Levitt and his wife Anne reminisce about their battles and triumphs in making Cedar City's Branch Agriculture School into today's Southern Utah University. I was looking forward to going to college, and I didn't have an idea of where I wanted to go to college. And the deciding factor for me was that I earned a scholarship. And I think it's quite interesting to note that it was a full tuition scholarship of $25 a quarter. So my full tuition was paid, and that's what decided me to come to Cedar City. And it was a fateful decision because that's where I met the student body president, young Dixie Levitt. And I can remember when you got there, and I saw this beautiful, beautiful blonde girl. (laughs) Little did I know that she was going to become my wife. Well, I finished my school there with a bachelor's degree from Utah State University. Then it was Utah State Agricultural College. It was about the first year that they had given bachelor's degrees in elementary education. Weren't you in the first class? In the first class, In the first class, it had four-year degrees. For a year after I graduated, I taught the fourth grade there in Cedar City, and I enjoyed teaching. I had a, a class of about 36 students. But I remember you and Mike coming down around the school at the time. But in the meantime, I'd gone into the insurance business after teaching school. And after I'd been in the business for a few years, the president of the Chamber of Commerce came in and asked me if I would chair a committee to be organized for the purposes of getting the secondary education granted by Utah State University. I remember how hard we worked at lobbying or making friends or buttering up the people, the powers that be. The Board of Trustees. The Board of Trustees and the Coordinating Council wined and dined them at our home. We did everything we could. We made progress. We had some support on the, the Board of Trustees. And yet to a point where I had decided that this was not going to be able to be accomplished. We were going to have to take some legislative action. 
And with that in mind, I was waiting then for the next election. I served in the House that year, and it was a matter of learning the processes and getting myself established, but making little progress at that particular point. But next term, I was elected to the Senate. Right. And that's where we started the actions going. And the Board of Trustees finally authorized to create for the secondary education system. And finally, I went to my brother-in-law, who was an attorney there in Salt Lake, and I asked him if he would write a bill for me. And I said, I want this to be where we develop our independence, not be a branch to Utah State. Well, of course, it was a battle, but we got it through. So that was the beginning, mm -hmm. when we began to then be a college on our own two feet. Yes, Southern Utah State College. Mm -hmm with his own board of trustees, so on. From there, because of my higher education committee experience, I felt there was really unfairness going on because uh, the small colleges, I felt like there was a lot of log ruling. Yes. We had a call for a study committee to, to study our higher education system. And then we come together, and that's when the Higher Education Act of 1969 was established. I set up the state board of regents which we still have that today, but likewise made it to where the Board of Regents is the one who finalizes budgets, does the hiring and firing. Well, I, I mentioned that part of it because it made it to where smaller schools, at that time, it was much more of a level playing field. I did run for governor in 1976, and uh, we gave a good race, but we didn't win. Later, I represented five counties, the southern five counties of Utah. And that's when they encouraged me to run again. But the purpose this time was to make it a university. And so that was in 1990, I think it was. Southern Utah University and Weber State both became universities. These interviews were recorded at StoryCorps, a national initiative to record and collect stories of everyday people. Excerpts were selected and produced by Utah Public Radio. Support for StoryCorps on Utah Public Radio comes from Dixie Regional Medical Center, located on two campuses in St. George, serving northwestern Arizona, southeastern Nevada, and southern Utah. Information at dixieregional.org. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, KCEU 89.7 Price, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan.